the traditional way of appraising a vehicle when mm-hmm. Laura or Jared or Alex or Albert would come in and have a trade-in. They would open up a black book or a Kelly Blue book or, mm-hmm. or something like that. And they said, okay, your car's worth X. Now that's step one. Mm-hmm. Step two is let me log on to this, this, this data set yep. and let me see, okay, within 5, 10, 20, 50 miles of my dealership, which is zip code in, here's how many other 2017 Camrys in red with 37,000 miles with leather and nav are out there. Here's the dealers that have them. Here's the days to turn. Here's the market day supply. Here's how, you know, the profitability, here's the asking prices. So now they can figure out, do we put all the money in this? Do we hold back some money? You're listening to the Digital Data Cafe podcast, where we talk about everything data-driven in your world. Join us each week to hear from the world's top business and industry leaders on why using data in a digital world matters. Here's your host, Albert Thompson. Good afternoon. This is another special episode of Digital Data Cafe. I am your host, Albert Thompson, CEO of Driven IQ. I'm very excited today. This is the podcast I have been waiting for for, for quite some time. Um, I am uh, joined with the president of BlackBook, Mr. Jared Kalfas, um, as well. Welcome, uh, Dr. Alex Yurchenko, Senior Vice President, Chief Data Science Officer of BlackBook, and then also Miss Laura Weehunt, Vice President of Automotive Valuations. Guys, thank you. Uh, welcome to the show. Thrilled to be here. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've been preparing for this for for about a week or so. Uh, Jared, we've been working together for for quite some time. Um, really excited about some of the things that you guys are doing um, at BlackBook, and I think this is a really good opportunity for those in the audience today to to really learn about you know not only you guys, right? You know, um, Laura and Dr. Alex and Jared yourselves, and how you guys got to these amazing points in your career. But really learning the story of BlackBook and being able to tell how you guys have been powering the industry, I mean, for over half a century. So I'm really excited to to dig right in. So I know all the listeners love to hear that journey story. So if you don't mind, um, maybe we'll kick it off and I'll go, we'll, we'll go ladies first, Miss Laura, um, and then we'll go to Dr. Alex and Jared. What's your uh, what's your background and how did you get you know how did you get here? Tell us about yourself and how you got to be a part of the the BlackBook team. Yeah, you know, I say that I got really lucky. Um, I was graduating college. I had a passion for cars. I grew up around cars. My grandfather started his career at a car dealership. Um, my my grandfather then started a power sports dealership. So it was kind of in my blood. I had always grown up around cars. Um, and so, you know, I was looking for a job and I thought, Black Book Company, I'll, I'll go and start there as a data analyst. And I would say I got absolutely hooked. Um, can't imagine being anywhere else now. So I've been here now 11 years, Congrats. started on the data analyst side, moved over to, um, the automotive valuation side. And so this is more, I now oversee the team that is responsible for following the market. So you may hear us talk about our art and science approach to data. So Alex is the science side. My team is the art side. So they're the ones that are talking to people in the industry, watching the auction. They live and breathe in the data. They know all things about cars. They are the nerds. They're going to be the ones that are talking horsepower and torque and all those things with you. And they know all about the equipment on the vehicles. Um, And so, you know, we just, it's a lot of fun. It's an amazing 
it's an amazing job. And I have said so many times over the years, somebody pinch me. Like I really get paid <laughs> to do this every day. <laughs> you know, it's so, it's so funny, Laura, that you said that. Cause um, you know, part of your story, I, I got to tell you, I think 99% of the time when I talk with someone, um, I think the story of how they got into automotive all seems to, to somehow it ropes them in and they can never get out. So um, yep. yeah, it's amazing. You have that story with your family. Um, thank you for joining us today. And I'm, we're really excited to dig in. Um, excited on, to be here. Role. Yeah. Learning about the valuations team. I think that's going to be interesting for the, for the audience today and um, super excited. So um, Dr. Alex, so it sounds like you're on that chief data science officer side. Tell us about that and your background, how you got here. Yeah. My, my journey was a little bit different. I started in academia. I, I got my PhD from Georgia Tech in pure mathematics. So I was teaching, doing research in mathematics. And uh, about now, what, 15, 16 years ago, I switched to the business world. I uh, started as a data scientist in an advertising agency. So working uh, with a lot of different cl clients, uh, uh, learning different industries and, and learning data science when it was born. Uh, the, the, the term was born probably about 15 years ago. Uh, and about what seven and a half, eight years ago, I got a call from Blackbook. They were looking for somebody to 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 build a data science team, and uh, I, I I took a chance to 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 switch the industries. I at that point I didn't even have a car. I was walking to work, <laughs> uh, so so I got into automotive industry with, without owning a car. Yeah, uh, and it it's it's been a journey. So we we build a great. A data science and analytics team in the last seven years work, working with Laura uh, very closely with her team. On my side, I have people who who know who know might not know anything about cars, but they know everything about numbers and statistics and trends and economy and the, the this marriage of uh, art and science of data and automotive knowledge i think is this is very unique to us and and that's one of the reasons for for the success for the company i think yeah no that's that's um i think that's one of the things that's, that's the most exciting for me about black book you know um like you said you know when people weren't even talking data science um you know black book was reaching out to you to build a team i mean that really speaks i think for the culture and i don't want to take any words away from from jared i'm sure he can he can really dive into that but um Super excited to learn more about the um, the art and the science of all of this. So um, thank you for joining. So uh, man of the hour, Mr. Jared Kalfas, how are you? President of Black Book. Yeah. How are you, Alex? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you. So um, please tell us, you know, tell us your journey. Well, before I talk about me, I, I want to talk about the other two just for a second. Uh, you know, okay. how, how fortunate we are to have them and and the teams that they are, that they are leading. As, as you mentioned, we'll dive into it. Um, none of this success happens without without our data and our valuations. Uh, everything else is, is, is just the result of it. So, um, but as for me, um, I, I've always been of the opinion that unless you're born into a family that's in the car business or you've got a desire to go to Northwood University or something like that, um, you nobody grows up and says, I wanna be in the car business. And certainly I didn't. I, I was in college like Warren, I had to find a job. <laughs> and so um, I ended up uh, joining um, the management training program at Enterprise Rent-A-Car yeah. uh, a few months after college, um, which I didn't know at the time, um, but it, it, it was and still is yep. the largest hire uh, employer of recent college graduates. Yep. And they had an amazing um, 
management training program where I got exposed to all different sides of the rental car business, everything from managing a branch to sales, to marketing, fleet management. Um, and then I got introduced to remarketing, um, which was selling those rental cars when they were, when they were time to be pulled. Um, so I stayed there for about four years um, and that got into the late 90s. Um, I joined there in 1995 and got there in the late 90s. Um, and that was kind of the dawn of that internet.com world. Yep. And I became the, uh, the 12th employee of a very, very, very well, well-funded startup called carsdirect.com, which today is morphed into internet brands. Yep. Um, and I got to learn the e-commerce side of, of the business um, and lead generation and uh, internet advertising. And I stayed there seven years uh, until the mid-2000s and got recruited to go back to what I fell in love with, which is remarketing by uh, got a position that was offered through Mannheim, hmm. which uh, was local here in Atlanta, the world's largest remarketing company and learned the entire wholesale side of the business. So I spent uh, about seven years there in progressive leadership and management roles uh, on the sales side of the business. And then um, joined Black Book 11 years ago in, wow. 2000, uh, in 2012. Uh, and I was the director of sales when I, when I joined and increasing levels of responsibility uh, throughout my 11 years. And I've been uh, the president of Black Book for about 18 months now. <clears throat> that, is, that is absolutely uh, an incredible story, Jared. Thank you um, for sharing that. You know what's really fascinating in hearing that story? I think that's the first time I've heard your story in, in chronological order. I, I, I venture to say that we missed each other. Um, by probably hours and days of, of interviews. So in the late 90s, um, obviously right in the dot-com era started, and I'll just kind of go off talk for a second, but that's when I actually um, you know, was, was doing my business, um, getting cars up on eBay, and that's what actually ended up getting me into Carfax. So early, uh, I think I was like the top 50 employee at Carfax, early 2000s, but I had actually interviewed with internet brands at that time. So we probably, oh, right. yeah, probably just missed each other at that exact yeah. moment. Yep. So- that's fine. Small. So yeah, absolutely. Who absolutely. knew we who knew we built end up right here, right? <laughs> no, you you would never guess that. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely fascinating. Um, it's just uh, it's amazing. But I think to your point, when you when you're young, you don't say, "Hey, I want to go and you know get into the automotive industry." But it, it takes you, it gets you in there, and then there's a passion that grows with it, right? And we just we grow to love the industry, and I think that's the one thing I can say about you know your your colleagues and everybody I've met with at the Black Book team and everybody across the industry. Um, there's a real passion for this business um, once you're in. So with that said, um, I think one of the things that I would like to hear, and I think a lot of our audience would really love to hear is, you know, we, we know Black Book, we hear Black Book. Um, you know, I've known about Black Book for many, many years, but, you know, if somebody was to really pin somebody down and say, hey, Jared, what, what is that ultimate mission that makes Black Book Black Book? You know, what is that differential? What what would you say that is? And how do you differentiate from your competitors? Yeah, so I think uh, I think the best thing about working for BlackBook is that we're a 67-year-old company. Um, and most people know and recognize BlackBook. The biggest challenge about working for BlackBook is they think we're just a guidebook. That's right. Oh, you're, you're the book, right? right. And so... As we invested in data and analytics, uh, going back seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, to to really ensure that we were progressive and we were serving our customers' needs, we really refocused over the last few years around a mission. Um, 
and that mission uh, that our, our senior team has has uh, has created and, and we live by day to day um, is is to create the most trusted insights that empower mission critical business decisions throughout the entire vehicle life cycle, mm. while also creating a workplace that is fulfilling and rewarding for all of our employees. So it's it's all around mission critical decisions and the data that helps solve those missions for our customers and gotcha. so many verticals as a result of that and, and, and question for you just you know real, real quick follow-up and and uh yeah i'm curious because this is really interesting and i don't know if many folks know that um you know black book really made a core tenet of its business to to focus on data and analytics and understand you know how that data and those analytics really play um a role in the industry the way you know buying behavior purchase behavior um supply chain logistics all of these um you know variables that are out there um all of these things play a major component in the industry i don't know if many people really know that about black book but if you had to you know kind of share with us uh, on the podcast today you know what are some of the channels in the industry you're serving from maybe across tier one tier two tier three you know how does black book you know interweave into those parts of the industry sure so uh, I'll, I'll start off with, with, an end, uh, with an end number for you. Uh, each month, our collective customers in aggregate are uh, hitting our APIs uh, just over a billion times a month. Wow. And a combination of Vindicodes and valuations. So that's a pretty significant load that, that, that we're bearing for the automotive and the automotive finance industry. So, so what makes up those, those customers? So from channels, you've got, you've got OEMs, mm -hmm. uh, tier one, tier two, and tier three dealers. Um, we are working directly with dealer groups uh, that are direct relationships of the largest dealer groups, the automations and the Sonics and folks like that. Mm -hmm. And then we also serve through third party um, intermediaries uh, that we call VARs, value added resellers. And that's, that's someone or some, some company that sits between us and a dealer. So think about all the inventory management systems. Think about the CRMs, the DMSs, the equity mining tools, the bookout tools, um, all of those uh, uh, credit bureau type type of, of companies. Um, those folks are all powered by black book data, whether, whether it's Vindicode or it's valuations or it's residual values or some other data that we've got. We're integrated into that system and those end users um, at the dealership or are using that. So, so you've got tier one, tier two, tier three. You've got, uh, we serve uh, just over 3,500 uh, lending institutions, banks, mm -hmm. credit unions, uh, uh, captive finance companies, lenders. Um, we are in the insurance space. So um, when they go to underwrite a vehicle, they, you know, insurance carriers, uh, they, they need to know the, the VIN code of the vehicle. They need to know the value of the vehicle. We are serving marketing companies and agencies. We are serving uh, state, local, and federal government uh, for taxation purposes and, and otherwise. Um, so our business is extremely diverse. We, we count between five and 6,000 unique customers um, on, our, on our direct relationships and over 40,000 customers in our indirect relationships where they're served through a third party. So it's a, it's a significantly, significantly wide uh, channel that we're serving. 
So I, I really think this is, um, it, by the way, congratulations and kudos. I mean, that's that's absolutely phenomenal. I, I, I would venture to say most people don't know um, to, to that level um, how ingrained Black Book has been able to, you know, really, um, you know, intertwine into the, you know, industry across all channels. Um, and I think that really segues to, to the next question, which is, you know, as you said, um, Black Book's been in the industry for over half a century. And so, you know, for all these years, right, you guys have been, you know, really focused on one part of this industry, but this this uh, um, adaptation that you've made, this pivot that you guys have really been focusing on um, in these last few years. Um, and I don't want to answer this for you, right? But I think that when you talk about a billion API calls or when you talk about, you know, sitting inside of 3,500 lending institutions, all of those signals and all of that data, right, really becomes super informative at the aggregate level. So I guess the question is, you know, what do you think, you know, has been the company's greatest strength in adapting to to the ever-changing automotive space? And 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 I guess I mean obviously how do you feel data plays into that? So I, I think I think there's a few things. Um the, the first one uh is our is our people. Um they get all of the credit. They they are the ones that allow us to have this company. Um, Without the data, without the smarts to create um, and analyze the data and to drive the insights uh, that derive from the data, there's there's nothing to sell. There's nothing to license. There's, there's nothing to promote. So our, our people um, continue to shine and, and allow us to shine. Uh, the second part is the data. We have access to more automotive-related data than just about any other company in the space. Wow. Um, when you look at uh, the amount of vehicles that Alex and Laura's team uh, look at, um, and you know, they can tell you specifically more about that each day, yeah. the insights that we derive from that, and then we ultimately end up productizing into different data sets, it's literally mind-blowing. So I, so I think that those are, are the first couple of things. Um, the other piece that I'll focus on is our ability to anticipate and innovate. Hmm. So again, going back 67 years, we're a book company. Mm -hmm. What was the car worth? But if you look at our evolution of product and data, we've gone from monthly updates way back when mm -hmm. to weekly updates. Now we're doing updates daily. And Alex and Laura know this better than I do. If we could figure out how to update <sighs> valuation hourly, yeah, we could do it because the market is just crazy. Uh, right. so, um, so it's not just valuations, um, but it's also anticipating and innovating on what uh, our customers need. So for instance, we're, we've centered around this mission of BlackBook around VIN specificity. Hmm. So uh, it's not just a Camry, it's Albert's Camry. It's the specific hmm. Camry sitting in your driveway. Anybody should be able to tell you what a 2017 Camry LE with 35,000 miles is worth. That's pretty basic these days. Laura and Alex's team can tell you what your specific Camry is based on the VIN-specific history and the VIN-specific decode of that camera. So um, we'll let them talk to you more about that. Yeah, no, I'm okay. super. Now I'm, I'm really peaked now. I want to hear more about that. I love VIN specificity. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so, so VIN specificity, and we're even taking that to the next level with electric vehicles, right? Um, where we will be able to do a, an adjusted valuation 
based on the data that that battery is telling us. So we know that the range of a vehicle and other, other uh, components of an electric vehicle, if you get the same vehicle, the same 2019 Tesla in Buffalo versus the 2019 Tesla Model 3 in Miami, yep. they're very different weather and other factors. We're actually going to be able to very soon um, make an adjustment on a VIN specific level on a battery, on an electric vehicle. Um, that allows you to do that. And so all of this data, again, we'll let them talk, but all this data, all this innovation is keeping us uh, progressing in the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and, and it's it's really actually um, intriguing to me because, you know, I almost would venture to say, and, and I would love to hear um, uh, Dr. Alex and Laura's take on this, but I got to imagine when you start talking about, you know, the EV vehicles and the battery life cycles and things like this, um, you know, essentially Black Book could maybe become the standardization of like, hey, when somebody talks about I've got a used car and, and this is the type of car it is and it's got 150,000 miles, there is a core sentiment of how much longer does that car really have? Is it you know going to break soon? I I wonder and I tend to to think that the data will one day support you know a certain mileage range tied to that battery will uh, become standardized in some way. It'd be interesting for you guys to to pioneer that. So question yeah, for you. Right now it's right yeah, now it's yeah. the wild west. Yeah, right now it's wild west. And we, yeah, that's that's the goal to to figure out how how to standardize the evaluation of electric vehicles. Uh, battery is the most expensive piece and the most important piece. And uh, for, at least at, right now, nobody's uh, uh, using that information in evaluation, and it, it's going to change soon. Well, well, let's just, let, you know what. Let's just jump to that real quick, um, Doctor. Since we're going down this this um, segment, I mean, how are you seeing from a data standpoint right now, um, based on what you're getting? You know, kind of um, upstream the valuations of, and, and maybe this is um, Laura too. I'd love to get your take on this, but how are you seeing the life cycle of the batteries in terms of the valuation um, for EVs, and 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 how are they currently performing to comparable, you know, uh, combustible vehicles? The, the market EV market, just like the rest of the market, is on a roller coaster. And for EVs, uh, thanks to Tesla, it's even uh, I guess steeper roller coaster. Uh, last last year, somewhere I guess March, where gas prices were were close to five dollars or in that range, EVs were overperforming. Uh, EVs and hybrids were overperforming gas vehicles, probably for the first time. Uh, but since then, when gas prices Collapsed from five dollars to lower three three twenty three thirty. Prices for EVs collapsed too. And then what is it? Martin now January when Tesla started uh, price war or they they cut the prices by ten thousand dollars. That uh, EV market just collapsed. Used market uh, prices uh, dropped by ten percent almost overnight. Yeah. Uh, so so right now there is probably the biggest spread between EVs and similar gas prices because of that, uh, those movements on off, uh, on MSRPs. So it's a very, very, very interesting market and a very volatile market right now. Uh, prices are changing differently compared to the rest of the market. Mm. Yeah, and, and well, it's interesting to look at it from, um, you, you know, the, the retention side of it because those EVs are priced so much higher new and so you're seeing the dollar value really starting to to narrow in on the comparable ice vehicle as alex mm -hmm. is talking about with those values coming down so heavily um they're really now getting much closer to their comparable 
ICE vehicle. Um, but when you look at it as a percent of what that vehicle was new, um, those EVs are getting hit much harder on that depreciation side of it. So I actually, not to get too nerdy here, but I did right. pull a few numbers for us that might yes. be of some interest. So Please. if you look at like an F-150 Lightning to your traditional, you know, gas F-150, XLT to XLT, so very comparable, you know, they're within about $2,000 of each other on the wholesale market right now for a 2022. Um, but new car price, that EV, the Lightning, cost over $6,000 more than your gas version. So mm -hmm. we're seeing that, we're seeing that spread narrow um, and we're starting to see consumers more accepting of the technology, but it still takes a certain type of consumer that's going to go and, and spend that money on that vehicle. You're not going to always have the same use case. You know, somebody buying a Lightning mm -hmm. is not necessarily going to use their truck the same way as the person buying the gas F-150. So you're still seeing very different use cases. It's a different lifestyle. Um, and so we're seeing the the value of them differing and, and they really do take a different track with their their price movements compared to the ICE vehicles. You know, um, uh, Laura, I would love to actually, and, and Jared, hopefully you'll approve this, but um, would love to have a further calls with you guys on this because I think there's um, so much um, we could go down in terms of like the granularity on this. Um, because what I would love to do, and I maybe should have sent you guys this beforehand, but you know, I would love to even get the insights and I'm sure you guys probably have this right. But like, you know, the, the average price of a brand new, say non-luxury car, um, you know, in, in November, 2022, I think was around 45,000, but you know, that's so different from where it was, you know, in, in the COVID-19 pandemic era. Um, I'd love to see what that window disparity looks like. And then to your point, Dr. Alex, right. Um, I believe new cars here just recently, um, dropped, you know, 10, 20% here in early 2023. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to see how that, like, to your point that that spreads narrowing, you know, between electric and gas, and then just overall in general, um, what's happening with used cars and new cars. Um, so it, it would be fascinating to see how you guys are seeing all of those um, informations in terms of how that relates to, to trade-in values, how that's impacting dealerships. Um, you know, if they've had to offer high trade-in values over the last few years because of that, um, how are they getting customers out of the cars? I mean, all of those things would be um, super fascinating topics. We would love to talk about all of those things with you. This is the stuff, as I, as I say, it gets in your blood and you, you know, I'm going to try, I'll try to rein back on my geeking out today. Yes. I know this is a little more high level about yes. black books. But I think it would be it'd be a lot of fun to do a follow up. Well, just one more little one more little geeky piece here real quick. So during the COVID <laughs> pandemic, right? So consumers were paying elevated price point for cars. We know that, right? Um, we had supply chain issues. We know that. Um, just curious, what's your opinion um, on where? You know what? I'll, I'll open this up for all three of you. What is each of your opinion um, on where the market is headed today? All right, Alex, do you want to kick us off with like our official, you know, you're the, you've got the crystal ball. So if, if you look at new sales uh, this year, we, we are on the, on the road to slow recovery. Last year probably was the bottom uh, below 14 million. This year, it seems, it seems like we, we're going to recover to close to 15 million units sold. And it's both retail and especially fleet sales. Uh, we've mm -hmm. seen increases in fleet sales. Uh, rental companies do need those cars and 
they were unable to get them in the last uh, almost three years. So in terms of new sales, it, it, they're increasing. We're, but we're seeing, just like with all other metrics, it's not uniform across brands. We've seen, if you look at uh, available inventory, uh, it's much higher for domestic, uh, domestic producers versus, let's say, Korean or Japanese brands. Hmm. And then we've seen exactly the same picture in incentives. Uh, if, if you want to get, you know, if you want good incentives on Japanese brands, it's probably hard to get. But if, you, if you're looking for uh, some domestic uh, cars, the incentives are much higher. But it, we, we, have, we, we need a perspective. We're still way lower uh, than we were pre-COVID. Um, I think average incentives pre-pandemic was 10 and a half, 11 percent of MSRP. Mm-hmm. Now we are about 4 percent. So uh, the incentives are still very low. And with all of the MSRP growth that we've seen and low incentives, that's where you get these high uh, transactional prices. Um, and that and that allows use prices to, to remain high. You, you don't have that ceiling on the top. Um, and and that's, I think that's our view. We have uh, re- wholesale prices decreasing from the highs we saw last year, but they're not going to drop to pre-COVID level anytime soon. Uh, there's there will will be in the short or limited inventory environments for years to come on the use side. Uh, incentives are much lower than we saw pre-pandemic, so that allows use prices to remain strong. Not as strong as last year, but uh, uh, we're not going back to to pre-COVID days anytime soon. Um, Do you have an idea? That, listen, and I know everyone listening, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they they want to hear it, right? You know. Uh, the crystal ball, like, you know, how long is the trough going to be? You know, how long is this going to to remain high? Uh, what, what, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the trough, uh, depending on who you are, right? Um, you know, if you're a consumer or a dealer, but right. um, so high on the on, on the used car pricing side for, for, for the dealers, um, you know, making it tough for the consumers. I mean, are we talking a year? Are we talking two years? Do you have any kind of like concept uh, on that or no? So think, think, of, think about this in terms of used supply. So for the last three years, Overall retail sales were low, but lease penetration just collapsed. So in, at least in the next three years, we're not going to see the same volume of lease returns. So, so we, we have the industry is going to have shortage of those you know, three-year-old vehicles for at least three, maybe even longer, four years. Um, and on top of that, we the rental companies were getting close to 50% of what, what they needed. Uh, and so that's a, a little bit shorter term, but in the next two years, we're not we have we're going to have issues with those near near new or newer used vehicles. Right. Uh, on top of that, uh, the repossession rates are, are still uh, lower than pre-pandemic. So, so, so overall, market is is going to be short on on those used supply of used vehicles, and that means uh, there's no there's the 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 use prices are going to stay elevated. Uh, even with the slowdown in the economy, we, we still, we, uh, we still seeing the, these high use prices. So uh, I'd say at least three, four years, we're going to be in the new, in the new, in the new normal, which is uh, higher use, use prices compared to pre COVID levels. Got it. No, I appreciate those insights. Um, And, and we won't get into the weeds too much. And, and I'll ask Laura and then, and then Jared, his opinion, but if I'm hearing you correctly, right, it sounds like overall the, the retail sales pace will will continue to be supply constrained, right? Um, and it sounds like then, therefore, pricing and profitability for dealers will remain still above 
levels, do you think? I mean, profitability for dealers are still going to be up? Well, we've seen, so if, if, uh, if you look at that spread between retail, retail average retail price and average uh, wholesale price, it, it's much lower compared to pre-COVID levels. Mm -hmm. uh, there were more, the, high, the, use price, the wholesale prices uh, increased by a larger amount compared to retail prices. So the margins, at, at, at least for the prices, margins shrunk. Uh, yeah, margins sure shrunk. Dealers, right. yep. Yeah, I'm sure dealers found other ways to, to make profit, but but that spread between retail and, and wholesale is, is lower than we've seen pre-pandemic. Got it, got it. Um, so Laura, what's your take? What's, uh, what's the future state of the market? One thing that I was thinking as Alex was talking that, that from, I thought it would come from my team, the ad there is we're seeing this change in the conditions. So because of this limited supply in the market, now consumers are hanging onto their vehicles longer the rental companies are hanging on to the vehicles longer. So by the time they're actually making it into the market, we've got a lot more mileage on them and we've got a lot more dings and dents and bumpers hanging off. And I mean, the condition has really deteriorated. And I think that's something to keep in mind. And we're seeing this premium being put on vehicles that are going to be CPO eligible mm. or even close to it, at least to be close to still being in warranty because there just aren't as many of those to choose from out there. And so I think we're going to continue to see those be, you know, bringing that that extra premium um, throughout this, you know, supply shortage that we've got that's coming. So super interesting i'd never even thought about that but you're right as they hold on the vehicles longer right the conditions of the vehicles start to vary right and that context needs to be considered as well um and, that, and that's what we've seen on dealers lots if you look at yep. just average age of the vehicle on the lots it's 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 growing and it's going to continue grow to grow mm -hmm. because we're not going to have we're going to have less of three-year-olds and yet less of two-year-old vehicles so the average age of the vehicle that dealers are selling is, is higher and will be will be growing so what we what we're going to see at the dealers lot is going to be very different. <clears throat> that and I wonder what the what the trade in equity um you know looks like too. I wonder what the average trade in equity looks like if it's trending, you know, down, you know, um you know because of this. So it, it, we can go into these rabbit holes, but um uh, Jared, what's your thoughts? What's the the current state in the future? What what do you think here is to you know, despite yeah. the challenges and and all the things that we're facing? I'll, I'll give you a. a a different perspective, uh, just kind of more of the of the man on the street perspective, but this coming directly from um, the interactions that we've got with with our customers. So, <clears throat> um, a couple of things. First, um, any consumer that bought a vehicle in the last eighteen to twenty four months, they paid up for that car, right? Yeah. And sticker plus and all that kind of stuff, which, which we all know. Yep. Um, well, the market has corrected as Laura and Alex had mentioned on the, on the used car side. And so those consumers are, many of them are in a very, very upside down position from a negative mm -hmm. equity standpoint. Mm -hmm. So if the sticker was $40,000 and you paid 45, you're 12 months ago, right. you've paid it down a little bit, uh, but you still may owe 41 or 42, but it's only worth 36 or 37, or maybe even worse, depending on the vehicle that you bought because you overpaid and the market corrected. Right. So that's the first challenge, negative equity. The right. second challenge is even if I wanted to get out of that vehicle as a consumer to lower my, to lower my monthly payment, uh, what's the problem? 
we've raised interest rates. Mm-hmm. So interest rates are through the roof right now. You're going to run into that wall. The second wall you're going to run to is now you're going to try to trade your vehicle in. You're not going to get as much as what you paid for it. Right. So, so, so you're upside down. You're up against the interest rates. Here's some real numbers. Um, we, we just pulled these numbers. The okay. average interest rate last month on a new car was about 8.9%. On a new, new car? On, on a new car. Wow. And the average interest rate on all the, new, on the, all the pre-owned vehicles that sold uh, in the last month or so was just a touch under 15%, like 14.7%. Oh, my God. Those are historically super, super high compared to what most of us have been dealing with for the last 10 oh, years. You know? Absolutely. Unbelievable. So, so as a consumer, you're in trouble. But that also, you said, hey, Alex, uh, is supply constraint affecting it? I would tell you yes, but also this. A consumer right. can't buy a car. They can't buy a car. So, so they're buried. Interest rates are, 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 are negatively affecting them. And then you've got supply on top of that. And then you still have this lingering, are we in a recession? Is it going to be layoffs, the economy? There's still all these kind of factors that are out there. So you've got these headwinds that are going against dealers. Um, you have what I'll call a mini uh, credit crunch. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen many, many banks, uh, Citizens Bank, Regional Acceptance, which is a division of yep. troops. Uh, Cap One, Ally, they've all either reduced or gotten out of the floor plan business yep. uh, and the lending business uh, for, for automotive. So now the, the, uh, the choices for dealers to coordinate uh, financing on customers' behalf are more limited. So mm-hmm. you've got a lot of headwinds. Um, they, they say that you should fix your roof when the sun is shining, right? Mm-hmm. And Dealers had a great opportunity right. um, while the pandemic was going on when they were making all kinds of money to sharpen the sword and train and retrain yep. and invest and this and that. And now that it's passed, we're, we, we've gotten into a spot where we're back to the old practices and the consumers, you know, it, it has shifted to where the consumers got leverage now. Um, and so it's, it, it's a very, very uh, challenging environment. You know, Jared, it's um, it's interesting because at that time, right? You know, I was working with um a large OEM uh, from a consulting position, and when I was meeting with these, you know, general managers, um, we were having these discussions, right? And I, I specifically remember, you know, like guys, you know, what you did putting that, you know, listen, I'm glad it was a 15 pound deal, you know, great, congratulations, high five, but that customer is never getting out of that car, like right. they're never getting out of that car, and so. And, and I think we all knew it, right? Um, even dealers knew it. it's like, hey, we're going to take it while it's while it's coming. Um, yeah. But there was no foresight or any thought after the fact. Like, what are we going to do in three years to to mitigate what we did here? Um, yeah. And I think we're I think we're paying those consequences today. So, I guess here's the the main question: probably folks listening are asking, well, how do we get out? I mean, what do we do? I mean, what can we do? That's, that's Alex and Laura, I think. <laughs> I think. I think that's. I think that's. Well, I think it's the million dollar question. I don't even yeah, know if there's an yeah, answer, yeah. right? I don't know yeah. if there's an answer other than hopefully you did prepare, right? I mean, Alex, yeah. what, what are your thoughts? It, it. I mean, one hopefully, and I think we've seen with some dealer groups, they 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 prepared some yes. more, some less. Uh-huh. Uh And and we'll see that in their results soon in the in their quarterly results. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who was prepared? Who's not? And it's also a macroeconomic question. Uh, when with with very low unemployment, we have this uh, extremely low consumer confidence. So we 
we, we need to get through this piece uh, or this time when uh, the good labor market translate into more more uh, more certain or happier consumers. Um, and and may, may, maybe when we're on the way there, the Fed's just just what yesterday posed their increases in in interest rates. So maybe the economy is turning and inflation is cooling off, and we'll we'll see we'll we'll see a soft planning or even avoid recession. So there, there I think the macroeconomic uh, forces will 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 answer those questions. Uh, are we going to get through this? uh successfully or we'll have some some issues uh, down the road well i think um you know that really leads us to to the next you know um question right and i think this is a good segue and opportunity for us because black book right is really you know taking this head on and it sounds like you guys and i've heard a little bit about it and i'd love to hear more but it sounds like you guys are getting ready to launch a new product called retail listings visualization uh i'm super excited i want to hear more about this and and uh, and how you guys are using this um, in some use cases today. So I don't know who wants to kick it off, but super curious. Yeah, I can start with with the overview, and 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 Alex and, and Laura can give you some of the some of the science and the data behind it. But we've had access to a to a set of data uh, that we made available to our customers uh, for about four or five years now, which we call retail listings data. And that retail listings data is we have access to just over ninety nine percent of every dealership's inventory that's advertised on their website. Mm. And we update that, that data daily. So all the franchise dealers, all the independent dealers, and uh, we derive internally, we, we derive insights uh, from that data, market date supply, dates to turn. Uh, we, can, we can get as granular as, you know, how often has this dealer changed the price on this particular stock number of this vehicle? We know when the vehicle sold. We know when it was taken in. It, 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 it's a very, very, very rich data set. And four or five years ago, um, we made this available uh, to our customers to license this data from us, and so that they can then derive um, insights. You know, what inventory to stock, what inventory to get rid of, what's in high demand, what's in low demand, how should I merchandise and price this vehicle? Where's this? Where's that? Again, very, very rich. And um, the demand for that data set was incredible. But what we found um, a couple of years into it was that either one, um, customers did not have the resources to develop to our API hmm. to create their own UI UX and integrate that data into their own solution. To monetize, to monetize or to utilize it internally. Um, or B, if they did have the resources, the development team and the IT team and the product team to do that, their roadmap was two or three years out. Right. And they needed this data right away. So we needed to figure out a way to get them this data. So we created retail listings visualization. So what is retail listings visualization? And this will be launched in the next 60, maybe the worst case, 90 days or so. Um, this is an, an off-the-shelf product, so you can still license our, 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 our data directly and customize it the way you want it and integrate it the way you want it. Um, you know, I always use the analogy of you can, you can go to the bakery and you can buy the cake or buy the pie uh, right off the shelf, and there it is. 
But if you want to customize it in any which way you want, you got to go to the grocery store and buy the ingredients yourself and then give it to your chefs. So we've got both choices. If you want to buy the the raw data, absolutely. If you don't have the time or the resources, we're able to give you um, this this visualization, uh, analytics visualization dashboard, if you will, um, which is plug and play ready to go tomorrow. And essentially, um, the visualization tool enables insights into uh, vehicle portfolios, and brand penetration, retail market inventory. Mm. It's available on both sides of the board because we're both in Black Book US and Canadian Black Book, which we're responsible for. And it really benefits uh, a few different segments or different channels, if you will. Mm -hmm. From the OEM and the dealer side, um, it allows them, both of those groups, to identify vehicles um, that are for sale, both in and outside of your network. Uh, they're able to understand where uh, non-grounded vehicles um, or unacquired vehicles are or are going to be listed for sale. So think about if you're a captive finance company and you've mm-hmm. got, you know, if you're if you're uh, if you're GM Financial and you've got all these vehicles coming off lease. You know, I, I have two thousand um, uh, GMC Canyons coming off lease in Cleveland. Right. In the old days, you would take it to the closest Odessa or the closest Mannheim sale, uh, and you would see what you can get for them. Well, now you can say, well, show me how this vehicle is doing within 50, 100, 200, 1,000 miles. And you may find that they're oversaturated in Cleveland and not bringing all the money. Right. But if you ship it, pay 300 bucks to ship it to Baltimore, where you are, Albert, yeah. uh, you're bringing 1,500 more. And so you're netting out 1,200 more. Right. So now we're able to show you what was because there's a, you know, there's a pocket of demand in Baltimore, D.C. area. Right. So so that's from the OEM and that you can then, you know, that's identifying markets. Um, You're able to see the trends from the from the customer benefit. um, As I mentioned, there's no development. There's no UI UX. It's it's literally give you credentials. You log in and you're able to see all these visually um, amazing dashboards, which which have, you know, the data and the insights that are in there. Um, there, there can be shared throughout your organization. Um, and then if you still want the access to the raw data, mm-hmm. obviously that you can, you can download that and do that. So it's an amazing tool for different categories of customers. <clears throat> no, that, that is, um, super exciting. I think that that makes total sense. And I don't think there's anything today, um, in, in the market, uh, like that. And I, I got to imagine no. this is where that data science uh, piece comes in. I mean, Alex, I mean, does this help you uh, for, for how you guys are, you know, aggregating that data and helping to 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 reach your target audience? Or can you explain more on that? Yeah, as as Jared mentioned, we we we're we're using all of that data internally to 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 help us with with pricing. But if you look at con, con, uh, consumers uh, or our customers, it's it's about price optimization. It's it's about inventory management. It's how it's it's comparing yourself to your competition. Uh, so, so to, to, to dealer groups can look at, at their competition and see how, how they're doing. Uh, but but the, 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 yeah, the data itself is, is extremely, this data, particular data set is extremely uh, useful for us. It, it gives us a, a very good view of a, of a retail space. Uh, if you look at Black Book, I don't know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. we were all about a wholesale market. Um, and in the last 10 years, we, we, we pivoted to, to cover the whole market. It's from 
from from retail market to to wholesale market and if you look at current wholesale market it's it's changing too it's it's not the auctions is still important but now you have so many different other channels for for dealers uh, to acquire or sell vehicles um, and we are we are covering all of them dealer to dealer platforms direct to dealer sales so, so there, there are a lot of new a lot of a lot of changes in the wholesale market and 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 just like uh you know Jared was mentioning a minute ago right so you know looking at this opportunity where you've got you know inventory and then you can you know like you said before you know the visualization tool here that you're building uh you might just take it to your local auction or whatever the case is and you you you'd push it through here's an opportunity to say hey look uh you know a few hundred miles over here uh there's a, a lot less of these uh vehicles you know being sold and now's an opportunity for me to push it over there and then I can you know get more for that unit um so the question I have, and just curious, and, and if it's not built out yet or it's not part of the roadmap, you know, um, no worries. But so I'm assuming you're comparing retail pricing, MSRP, um, tied to how many vehicles you got out in, say, a particular market. And I'm sure there's a lot more to it that's that we're not talking about. But I guess my question is then, are we cross-referencing it against um, wholesale? Like, you know, what's being pushed out wholesale because that's the core tenant, you know, to, to BlackBook? Or do you also have some, like, data that supports what the um, the dealer levels are selling these cars for? Is that like, that's the... That's the hard information to to get upstream. Yeah, we we're looking at bo both the wholesale and retail channel together, and we've been working with some of our clients. It, if you think about electric vehicles, you know a lot of them are coming back in California, but we 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 saw that well, actually in Texas there's a strong market for used electric vehicles. So instead of sending them, uh, selling them in 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 California, just ship them across the board and you'll get more money for those vehicles, but both on the wholesale side and on the retail side. So there's there's a lot, it, it's very, it can get very granular. Um, maybe a lay market is is better than your San Diego market. So you, you can get as granular as you as you can. It's extremely important for the dealer groups where they have uh, you know national presence. Where, where do they need uh, certain vehicles, where they, how fast they sell, what's the price difference? So it it's it, and then you can look at a wholesale market and and mm -hmm. and match them. So it's it's I think it's an extremely powerful tool mm -hmm. uh, for different for different audience. Think about the yeah. think about dealers, and again, this is just evolution. Yeah. In, in in the old days, yeah. uh, if you will, and I say old days, it wasn't that long ago. It was just a few years ago. Um, you you know the traditional way of appraising a vehicle when Laura, Jared, or Alex, or Kyle, would, or uh, uh, Albert would come in and and have a trade in. Um, they would open up a black book or a Kelly Blue book or mm -hmm. or something like that, and they said, "Okay, your car's worth X." Um, now that's step one. Step two is let me log on to this, this, this data set yep. and let me see, okay, within 5, 10, 20, 50 miles of my dealership, which is zip code in, here's how many other 2017 Camrys in red with 37,000 miles with leather and nav are out there. Here's the dealers that have them. Here's the days to turn. Here's the market day supply. Here's how, you know, the profitability, here's the asking prices. So now they can figure out, do we put all the money in this? Do we hold back some money? So now you've won the trade as a dealer. Mm -hmm. you, you recon it. You get it frontline ready. It's been a week or 10 days or whatever it is. Now you put it back on online or in your lot. You merchandise it. You go back to the tool and you say, let me see if the market's changed in the last 10 days. What should I list this thing for? Yep. So it's got it's got all the pictures of the vehicles. It's down to the stock number. It's, it's VIN specific. Um, it's about 15, it's a database, about 15 million vehicles represented 
of just over 50,000 dealers in the U.S. alone. And we've got it for Canada as well. Um, And again, north of 99% of every dealership's inventory that's online, and we grab it every night. uh, And we we normalize it and put it into our API so that our customers can benefit from it. This is um this is fantastic. I cannot um wait. W- once this thing launches, Jerry, we we've got to come back on and um do a demo because I got to tell you, all the disparate data pieces that you're talking about. Um, it, it's funny. I I I actually call this like um like inventory data science. Like it's like inventory. <laughs> like there's like a whole thing to this, right? It's like how long should this car sit on my lot? You know, how fast is this going to turn? What's my com- you know competitive landscape look like? And and you're literally taking all this disparate data, and it sounds like you're putting it in one easy visualization tool. For, for dealers, OEMs, large dealer groups. I mean, it's 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 going to be game changing. That's the plan. <laughs> all right, all right. So then, what's your secret then? Question for you as a whole, holistically. You know, Black Book. You guys, um, you know, you were talking about earlier. You've been there for eleven years. Um, obviously, you guys have an amazing culture. Um, your mission is is really understanding insights and you know understanding vehicles down to a, a maniacal science. Um, so so what's the secret to ensuring customer retention? I mean, you know, what's Black Book's take on that? Well, I'll start. Uh, I think there's different answers, but but for me, at, you know, at, at the business level, um, I think it's I think it's uh, ensuring that we are in touch with our customers. So um, we spend more time, more money, more resources uh, communicating with our customers having conversations, Laura and Alex can tell you the conversations that they have with our fleet customers and our rental car customer and our lending customers. We speak to the industry constantly, both formally and informally. We get feedback, we ask for feedback. We survey all of our customers. Um, Alex, you're a customer, you, you may remember, you know, every mm-hmm. year we send a survey out and mm-hmm. we, we do a net promoter score, an NPS. Would you recommend Blackbook? Um, and our, our NPS numbers are through the roof, quite frankly, um, not because we're the best, uh, because we actually listen and we say, hey, you're missing this or it'd be great if you have that. And we take action. Um, and so we measure ourselves against how the industry views us. Yep. Um, that allows us to anticipate uh, what the industry needs and develop products and data sets like we've been talking about to meet those needs. So that, that, that's how I'll start there. <clears throat> um uh, uh, Laura, why don't you chime in? May I would love to hear from Laura. I want to hear Laura and Alex. Um, you know, what are your thoughts uh, from your perspective departments in terms of how you relate to customers? How do you feel about retention um, and from a Black Book perspective? I think it is because we are available. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't just, you know, <clears throat> if you send me an email and I send you one back, it's got my cell phone number on there. I mean, I am here. I'm here to answer the questions. Yep. Um, we are constantly available. If somebody is questioning a value, you're not going to get the response of, well, that's just the value. No, hey, I'm going to show you. This is the data we're using. These are all the sources that we are using that go into our recipe. And this is how we came up with this data. And this is why, hey, I mean, I have been known to show a customer, hey, here's the scatter plot of the most recent data. Hey, see these down here? We threw those out because we knew that we watched this auction this week and it these were hail damaged units and these up here had this equipment and, and I can walk you through all of the data. It's all explainable and it's that transparency. And I think that's what has resonated well with our customers is that we are available and we're transparent and, you know, are we perfect? No, you know, 
right oh, now yeah. I'm getting hit up because there are a couple of 2024 Subarus that I don't have in our data yet. But you know what? I'm available and I'm communicating on a daily basis and I'm telling them, hey, this is exactly when we're going to get it to you. And we're setting those expectations. And I think that has really, really resonated well with our customers. <clears throat> Alex, um, Dr. Alex, I'm going to ask you one question. I'm going to put it into the realm of data science. So same question, customer retention, Black Book. Um, how do you feel having a focus on precise data in the automotive space plays into customer success, customer retention? In, in terms of retention, uh, data obviously is important. This is what we licensed. This is how Black Book started. But to Laura's point, it's, it's transparency about the data, but it's also insight and analytics that comes with the data. It's not just the value, but why, uh, where it's going, and and that, and then we we can we we can talk to you and explain all, all all of the reasons behind. But the precise precision of data is is important. If you if you think if you look at the automotive industry, the portfolio we're talking about trillions of dollars in a portfolio. Uh, you know, a percentage, a percentage error, and we're talking about billions and tens and hundreds of billions of dollars. Yep. So the and the so precision is extremely important, and it's it's not just precision of the value. To, to get to that precision of the value, as Jared mentioned, it's 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 it, we have to know everything about the vehicle. It's what equipment on the vehicle. So we have to decode, decode the vehicle. We need to know what equipment is there. We need to know the condition. We need to know how the vehicle was used. Uh, a few years ago, we we started using vehicle history uh, reports to adjust evaluations. The history adjusted valuation. It's how many accidents, what kind of accidents the vehicle had. Uh, was it a rental car? Was it a leased car? Did it have any know, fire or any other any, anything that is in your history report is now used to adjust the vehicle. So so that precision uh, about about the vehicle itself helps us with the precision about valuation. Mm -hmm. And then it translates into the projections. If you're a lender, you, you, you do want to know the value of that vehicle in, in six months, in 36 months, uh, but you have to know you have to know the vehicle itself. That, that, that really goes to our mission around VIN specificity. Yes. We, we're decoding it correctly, which is not easy to do. We're running a history report and then adjusting the value, which we're the only ones that do that. Um, and that's that mission that, that we're on. And, I, you know, I've, I've often thought about patenting the phrase, we don't guess. We just don't guess. Laura can give you every nook and cranny and every data point around why she adjusted that up, down, left, and right. Alex can show you all the data that's in the recipe that, you know, that's in the casserole. We, we just don't guess. That's right. That's right. And and I can tell you, you know, coming from a data background um, ourselves, and you can't guess, Jared. Um, you know, to your point, Dr. Alex, you know, precision in the data and, and the accuracy is it's it's the core focus of, of being successful um, for your for your business and for your customers. And and Laura, to your point, um, you know, being available and Jared, you know, as you mentioned, um, we are a customer and I can double down um, on the fact how you guys treat your customers um, above board uh, from personal experience. Um, so. Guys, uh, we're at the top of the hour. I am super um, excited. If, you, if those listening here are not excited about the future of Black Book, um, the focus on data, uh, retailing, listings, visualization, 
um you should be jared how how could someone get a hold of somebody on your team if they want to to get get ahead of this and oems dealer groups anybody listening what's the what's the next steps for them anything else you want to share all very active on linkedin all of our contact information is on our website um albert knows how to get a hold of us we we would we would absolutely love to speak with anyone always yes. available Yes, uh, Laura, Dr. Alex, Jared, thank you guys so much. It's been another uh, wonderful episode and looking forward to more. Thank you. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Albert. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you.